Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Just really quickly, let me give you an outline of the book of 1 Samuel, give you an outline, it's really easy, Uh, chapters 1 through 7 is written about Samuel, chapters 8 through 15 is written about Saul, and chapter 16 through 31 is written about David, really simple, chapters 1 through 7 is written about Samuel, chapter 8 through 15 is written about Saul, and 1 Samuel chapter 16 through 31 is written about David, very simple. Uh, If you were with us on Sunday, I told you that uh, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, is a running commentary on the history of the nation of Israel. And 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, was originally a single translation or a single composition or a writing, one single writing in the Hebrew canon. But when the Septuagint translation was completed, these books were broken down into the way that we have them currently. Now, who is the author of Samuel? Well, actually, we don't know. Um, you're partly right. I'll tell you why. Uh, no one actually knows. Um, it's possible that the first 24 chapters were written by Samuel himself, and then someone came along and picked up a pen and completed the rest. And I say that because Samuel dies in chapter 25. And the story continues on. Not real sure who the author is. It's debatable. But we do know that the whole Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Let me give you a little bit of background. The book takes place during the time of the judges. When, if you're familiar with your Bibles, you know that it's during the time of the judges is a time when every man was doing what was right in his own eyes, and there was no king in Israel. Uh, First Samuel, you might want to write this down, is a transition book from the time of the judges to the time of the kings and the prophets. This book moves us into a time of monarchy and prophetic ministry. Samuel comes on the scene and is the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. Now, as you study the book, you'll notice the word Yahweh 
over 60 times. Which tells us that during this time of transition, Yahweh, Jehovah God, is the main player working invisibly behind the scenes. Are you listening? And saints, I don't think that would be a bad thing to remember, actually. That no matter what's going on in the physical scene world, God, Yahweh, Jehovah is working behind the scenes in the unseen. And I think we get so caught up in the scene that we forget about the unseen. Christians, don't get so caught up in the scene that you forget about the unseen. I feel like I have to say this every four years. I'm going to let you think about that for a minute. <laughs> I have to say this every four years around election time. I feel like I need to say it to the church because I think, you know, the church, we get our eyes off the scene. Because no, no matter what, we need to get our eyes off the scene because no matter what, and no matter who's elected, uh, Jesus is on the scene. Isn't that true? So don't get so caught up in the scene. This is not your home. And just as a side note, I get a little bit concerned when I see Christians posting so much on Facebook. I feel like I'm saying something about Facebook every single sermon. <laughs> every single sermon. And I don't really have anything, I don't really have any thing against Facebook. I think it's a wonderful thing. I'm on Facebook. You guys know, and many of you are following me, and I, you know, I use it to, to encourage. I use it to, 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 to post something godly and something that's going to encourage you and, and spur you on to love and good works. And I don't get caught in the scene. And I don't get caught up in all this stuff that's going on. And, and don't you do it, because this is not your home. Our home is in heaven. We're going to be with Jesus, right? So be careful. Okay. We're here on the scene in chapters 1, 2, and 3. We hear the name Yahweh. Then we are introduced to other characters, Elkanah. Some people pronounce it Elkanah. Hannah, uh, Penina. Uh, Samuel, Eli, Hophni, Phinehas, Jonathan, David, even as we meet all these characters, the prominent and main character is Jehovah himself. Whenever God is going to change a history, listen to me, saints, whenever God is going to change the history of a nation, God always begins with a man. Whenever God is going to change the history of a nation or the course of human Mankind, God always begins with a man. Look at verse 1, if you will, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, in verse 1. Notice there was a certain what? Man. And there's always a man. Whether it's Moses or Whitfield or Spurgeon or Moody or Edwards or Luther or John Wycliffe or John Knox or Martin Luther, John Wesley, Calvin, Chuck Smith. Whenever God wants to shake up a nation or change the course of history, he starts with a man. There was a certain man. I've actually titled this sermon, The Birth of Samuel. Let's read a little bit and then we'll come back and, 
have some comments. First Samuel chapter one, saints, we begin in verse one. If you're looking at it, say a hearty amen. amen. Now there was a certain man of Ramathim Zophin of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah or Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu. And that's not Tofu, it's Tohu. The son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. Uh-oh. I have that written in my margin. Uh-oh. He had two wives. The name of the one was who? Hannah. And the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Underline that. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give what? A double portion, for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her, therefore she wept, and Hannah did not eat. Saying, stop right there, give me your attention. There was a man of Ramathim Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. First uh, Chronicles chapter 6, verse 16 through 38. You can read that in your own time. Good luck. It tells us that Elkanah is a Levite, and of the sons of Korah. And that's why they settled with his family in the area of Ephraim. So in the middle of this terrible time period where there's no king in Israel, every man is doing what is right in his own eyes, there was a man who was doing right in the sight of the Lord. Elkanah, or Elkanah, means, his name means, possessed of the Lord. Now, we're told that Elkanah went up early to worship and offer sacrifice in Shiloh where the tabernacle was. And that speaks a lot about him because, again, nobody was worshiping in those days. He was a godly man, and his name again means possessed by the Lord, but nobody's perfect. Not even this godly man, Elkanah. He had two wives. Big problem. He had two wives. Big problem. Two wives never work. Amen. Don't try this at home. Don't know how he does it. I have one, and I'm still trying to nail it down. Say amen, fellas. Two wives never work. Write it down. O'Connor was a polygamist. He was a polygamist. Now listen, polygamy was never endorsed by God. And I think that people make the mistake just because something is written in the scriptures, they, 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 they make the mistake to believe that maybe it's sanctioned by God or that God endorses it because it's in the Bible. When in fact, the Holy Spirit is just giving us just the facts, man. Just the facts. God is often giving just the facts concerning history, the person, and the event. 
Think about it. The lie of the devil was recorded in the Bible, but that doesn't mean that God approves of lies. So Elkanah had two wives, which was crazy. One of his wives was named Hannah. You taking notes, write this down. Her name means lovely, godly, lovely and godly. She was a lovely, godly woman. Her name means uh, grace. Actually, she was lovely and godly, and her name means grace. Hannah, her name means grace. The other was named Penina. Penina, her name means pearl. So Pearl had kids and Grace had no children. Pearl and Grace don't get along. And maybe that's why Elkanah had two wives, because Hannah couldn't have kids. Instead of divorcing Hannah because she was barren, he took another wife. Now, we need to understand that in the ancient culture, uh, you were considered cursed by God if you were a woman with no children. Barrenness was considered a curse. According to the culture, it was the primary duty of the wife to produce a son or children for the husband. Every Hebrew couple had a burning desire to have a son in those days. If a wife couldn't bear children, it was common to get a surrogate. I think of Sarah who told Abraham to take who? Hagar. It was culturally acceptable. According to Jewish tradition, those not entering heaven, a Jewish man who had no wife, a Jewish wife who had no children. If a Jewish wife could not have children, it was grounds for divorce. Interesting to compare how children are viewed in the Bible and how they're viewed today. You know, people almost treat children today as some thought, some kind of, you know, like we need to think about this thing and process it through. You know, it's like almost like, a, you know, have a child, should we get a German shepherd? Uh, you, you know, got to think it. It's, it's true, isn't it? Like, you know, you know well, how's it going to affect the family? And, you know, how are things going to go? And how's this going to, you know, all work out? You know, oftentimes children are viewed as a hassle in our culture. Almost a hassle that we have to prepare for. I know I'm not talking to anybody here. I'm just chatting. A hassle that we have to prepare for. You know, I don't hear much talk about anymore about, you know what, whatever God wants. Whatever God wants. You don't hear much talk about that anymore, do you? Mm -mm. Why? Because children are viewed as a hassle nowadays. Listen, the Bible has a lot to say about children, and one of them is Psalm 127, verse 3. It tells us children are a heritage from who? The Lord. And I think this whole cultural mentality of how, you know, we relate to children, I, I, I think it's somewhat in there is some selfishness. Because I'll tell you something, if you have one child, you know this to be true. Children will grow you up. Say amen, parents. Children will grow you up. Children will rid you of self. Amen. Children will rid you of self. When you don't have kids, you do what you want, when you want, how you want. When kids enter the picture, you do what they want, when they want, how they want. <laughs> you know, as a, as, a, as a pastor, I've seen it. I've seen like pre-baby moms. And pre-baby moms, you know, everything is beautiful. Got their hair did and, you know, they got their, their feet did and, they got their makeup on nice and everything's in place and all the clothes are matching. Pre-baby mom, post-baby mom, 
Nothing's matching. There's no makeup on, maybe one eyelash. It's like, were you in a rush this morning? <laughs> well, yeah, I got the baby. And, because children actually will grow you up and, and children will get you out of that place of being selfish. Unfortunately, we live in a narcissistic, self-absorbed, self-loving, egotistical, vain, prideful, arrogant culture where everything is about you. Hannah couldn't have children, and she prayed, God, give me children. Notice in verse 3, Elkanah went up from his city, Ramah, to Shiloh, which is about 15 miles, if you want to write that in your margin. And the reason he went up was to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. And then the Bible gives us a note. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there at the feast in the temple. Again, in the time when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, Elkanah is going up to worship. You'll find this phrase, the Lord of hosts, 281 times in the Bible. The first time we find it, it's here in 1 Samuel that Elkanah was going up to worship the Lord of hosts. The first time we find these words rolling off the lips of someone is in the prayer of Hannah. And we'll read about that in just a few minutes. Now in ancient Israel, the Lord of hosts is also the Lord of armies. If you're taking notes, the Lord of armies of angels. He's a Lord of multitudes, a Lord of ten thousands of ten thousands of ten thousands of thousands of thousands innumerable. He's a Lord upon multitudes and multitudes innumerable. And at the same time, he's a Lord God who stoops down to a single broken heart. Think about that. He's the Lord of hosts and he's also the Lord of one. Are you glad about it? I'm glad about it today more than ever. In a culture that we live in and the tension in the earth politically and religiously and militarily, God stoops to one individual life. Anyone, anytime who seeks the Lord can have a private meeting with the Lord of 10,000s upon 10,000s upon 10,000s of thousands of multitudes of multitudes. That's a good thing. The rabbis in history says at this time, there was a stone wall around the tabernacle. Now listen to this. The rabbi said that there was a stone wall around the tabernacle in Shiloh at, at this time. Instead of that linen fence that would surround the tabernacle, they had built a stone wall. I remember on one of our trips to Israel, we went to Shiloh. And um, I remember from a distance, we were sitting up on this hill looking down and the... the um, uh, the guide was pointing out this large rock outline of a tabernacle in Shiloh, the tabernacle of the Lord. It's amazing. You've got to go to Israel. It, it is just amazing. And you think about it, and you're, you're looking at this tabernacle, and you're looking at the ruins of this stone wall, and, you're, and then you think, man, the Shekinah glory of God dwelt right there. The Lord spoke to Samuel right there. You got to go to Israel. It's not too late. Now, in the Bible, Shiloh is a very significant place. Shiloh is a town in Ephraim, and it means tranquil, secure. Are y'all all right? Israel set up the tabernacle in Shiloh. 
because it was a central location so that all the tribes would have access to offer and to sacrifice and to praise the Lord. Joshua 18 verse 1 tells us that the congregation would meet at the tabernacle in Shiloh. The tabernacle remained at Shiloh for many years, but it wasn't a permanent place because hundreds of years later, David moved it from Shiloh to, anybody know? Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant was at Shiloh. and God's presence was at Shiloh. And over the years, the people began to believe that as long as the Ark was in their midst, they were the invincible Israelites. Even if they walked and lived in sin, they thought that God was with them as if some artifact or some religious symbol means that God is with you. There are people today that think that if they wear a cross, they think that God is with them because they wear a cross or they have St. Thomas on their dashboard on a car. They think that God is with them. Some artifact. Israel did that. They believed because they had the ark with them that they could live any kind of way they wanted. And so with that mentality, idolatry began to spread throughout the land and they began to allow men to serve as priests who did not know God. Did you get that? They began to allow men to serve as priests who did not know God. Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who did not honor God. Eli allowed them to serve in the office and the duties of priests. They were evil. They were fleshly. They were carnal. They were corrupt. Even get this, they would allow or they would have sexual relations right there in the tabernacle when women came to worship. Horrible. And here's the problem. Eli knew about it. And because they were his sons, he did nothing about it. How do you know that, Rodney? Well, just turn over, if you will, right in your Bibles. Turn over to chapter 3, verse 13. Go ahead and look at it. Chapter 3, real quick. Chapter 3, verse 13. It tells us just that. God said regarding Eli... For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. Because what? His sons made, come on y'all, work with me. Because what? His sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. You cannot allow your family to affect the ministry. And it's unfortunate, it happens in the church today. Especially when you know that they're in sin, you must, you're required to act upon that. You're required as a leader, I'm required as a pastor, if I know that something is sinful, I'm going to be held accountable to God. For what happens in Calvary Chapel, don't desire to be many teachers. Don't you know that you will receive the greater condemnation? God judged Eli for that reason. It's unfortunate that we live in a culture where people have an excuse for everything, especially about their children. This was written, get this, in 1958 regarding raising children. Listen to this. Begin in infancy to give the child all he wants. In this way, he'll grow up believing the world owes him a living. When he picks up a bad, dirty word, laugh at him as though it were cute. It will encourage him to pick up similar words. Avoid the word wrong. It might hurt his psyche. 
Don't help him decide between right and wrong, but let him find out for himself. Always take his side against school teachers and the police. Pick up everything after him, shoes, books, clothes, and avoid child labor. Always quarrel in the presence of your children. It will give them experience. Let him read anything he wants and be sure he has plenty of spending money to spend all the time you can away from the house so he can be alone and develop self-reliance. And when they take him to prison, excuse yourself by saying, I did my best, but I couldn't do anything with him. This is the culture we live in. This is how we're raising our children. Parents, we have a responsibility to raise our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.